Hi everyone, this is Jennifer Harvey-Sella and I'm here with my dear friend and collaborator Karina Glinton. We're back for our conversations on gifted trauma. This is our fifth conversation and today we're going to talk about the climate emergency um, and gifted trauma. So our conversation today is inspired by iHeartEarth, our new partner initiative, and this is um, how to explain it. It's a, it's a collective initiative for the cultivation of compassion and gratitude for the earth uh, and for the people who are defending and protecting the earth and focusing on earth restoration. So we did this initiative, um, which grew out of um, a, a lot of me working through trauma over the last year, trauma and a lot of ecological grief in the face of the climate emergency. Uh, and it grew out of a healing process that I went through that I've written about in an article on my personal blog on rediscoveringyourself.com and on our intergifted blog on intergifted.com. And in this article, I explored my own, you know, journey through this, this ecological grief and trauma and coming to a place where I felt I could contribute my passions, my unique passions, my unique skills, my unique perspective in making a difference in the climate emergency situation, both personally and collectively. And um, so Katyn has been with me the entire time uh, mm -hmm. through all of these things. Uh, we've been doing a lot of this together. And it came through that this was our way of contributing to the collective task at hand. Um, I wanted to read a little bit of our manifesto, the I Heart Earth's manifesto, to give an idea of what this project is about. Mm -hmm. uh, and you'll all see sort of where we're going with it. So we say it's essential for us to feel safe in order to take constructive action. Yet for many of us, ecological grief and panic in the face of the climate emergency have become obstacles to the sense of safety we need. States of compassion, gratitude, and attuned connection provide us with the fertile ground to feel safe enough within ourselves to heal, identify our personal role in the collective task, and stay with the tough challenges that the climate emergency presents over the long term. So this is the essence of what we're doing with our initiative. And today we wanted to talk about um, mostly Karin's story, story uh, coming to this initiative because mine is already available out there in, the, in written form, which we'll provide a link to in the conversation notes. Um, what we wanted to pay special attention to as it relates to our uh, conversations on gifted trauma theme is um, the, the gifted specific parts of our story more specifically cutting story. Um, so I wanted to just mention how that came out in my own story, and then we're gonna switch over and listen to Cutting's story. So in my own story, this came out because as a kid, I was, uh, well, as a gifted kid, I was very hyper aware of what was going on in my environment. And um, I was in a highly religious environment. So there was a lot of threatening messages about the end times and the end of the world and so on and so forth. And I felt I really needed to take action then um, and, and, and fix the problem or figure it out then. And uh, because of the way that my configuration was, I really couldn't. So I had all of this gifted drive to do something and to understand things and to make a change, and, and I couldn't. And what I wrote about in my article was that a lot of people, a lot of clients I've worked with over the years and a lot of gifted people that I've heard from had something similar, whether it was religious or, or, or otherwise, a uh, threat of nuclear war, a threat of you know, the end of the world somehow or the other, and um, feeling like, oh my God, I have to do something to, to change this, and then just kind of being one person 
um, being the only one who is is sounding the alarm, so to speak, and having that either be invalidated or um, we'll hear in Cutting Story, uh, having that be at the same time invalidated, but then having people look to you to be the one who solves the world's problems kind of thing. Um, and, and so, um, yeah, in my case, there was definitely that. And I've seen that, like I said, mirrored back by lots of clients and lots of people that I've talked to, gifted people. And so these are some of the themes that can hap- that can come out in this climate emergency situation where um, old stories, you know, times back in, you know, maybe for some of us, for me, it's, you know, 20 years ago. Oh, how old am I? No, 30 years ago. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and it can be even longer. It can be 60 years ago. It kind of doesn't matter. Uh, these things can can now be compounded. And like, so we're facing the climate emergency and we're already dealing with grief and trauma like that have nothing to do with our giftedness that are just simply grief and trauma that we would have whether we're gifted or not. And then it can be really compounded by some of these gifted specific traumas that we experienced back then. There can also be gifted specific trauma that's happening right now where we're saying, hey, I would really want to make a difference. And our friends are saying, just calm down, chill out, don't worry, it's not like that big of a deal or what, or just, you know, ignoring us or whatever is the case. Um, so we wanted to bring out those specific aspects in our conversation today. I think that covers what I wanted to say as an introduction. Karin, you can tell me if I've left anything out. Otherwise, we will switch over and listen to you. Thank you, Jen. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Karin Neglinton, and I am as well super, super thrilled to be collaborating with Jen and other members of the Intergifted team as we create this new initiative, I Heard Earth. So I just wanted to interject that it's, it's a pleasure and it's an honor to be able to have the platform to actually speak about these topics uh, and to be able to cross over over here to um, our gifted conversations and to talk about how the climate emergency is affecting us as gifted people. So um, you'll hear that some of the themes that Jen just outlined for us also show up in my story. Um, and I'm, I'm very curious when we publish this to hear some other people's stories, uh, how they felt their gifted trauma intersects with the climate emergency or their giftedness in, in general. And it doesn't have to be the trauma, but perhaps the ways that giftedness um, was not, um, didn't have the right environment to flourish. Um, yeah, so um, I don't think you left anything out, Jen, but if we think of more things and at any point, feel free to interrupt me or ask questions if I say something that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, because, well, this is my story, so um, it makes sense to me in some ways, but um, sometimes it's uh, when you're like in it, it's also hard to see from the outside what questions people might people might have mm. yeah and and just to interject this is something that Karin and I have been talking about that um me putting my story to paper took me a year plus of reflection mm-hmm. um and I didn't even give a super detailed explanation of of how it all went mm-hmm. it's a it's an article so it's not super long and yet it took me you know a good year and a lot of uh, work with therapists and um, you know, in working together with you, cutting, processing many things and lots and lots and lots of uh, conversations with friends and so on, like research, it, you know, it took all of that to, to get it on paper. And so cutting has been uh, 
we've been working on uh, an article for her story uh, and she's been experiencing the, <laughs> the reality of the challenges of getting your getting your narrative on paper absolutely uh, absolutely yeah yeah and as i was sharing uh recently with another friend i was sharing the um, the drafts of my story and i said to her i've been working on the story since her and i met essentially yeah. uh at trying to express it in different ways and now it feels like the uh, all the elements are in place and that's part part luck part hard work you know mm -hmm. <laughs> that i am able to actually articulate these things and if i were in a different context perhaps i wouldn't have the tools to articulate this yeah um so anyways um i'm gonna dive into the actual story so that you can make your make up your own minds about it <laughs> So, um, I would say the backstory in terms of gifted trauma in childhood had to do with different elements coming together in, 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 in traumatic ways, in ways where I was under-resourced, and uh, you'll see what, what I mean in a second. So, the, the many things were converging into um, a heavily pressured uh, experience for me. Like I was feeling pressure from multiple uh, lanes coming my way and uh, not knowing how to express that pressure, um, how to relieve that pressure. So one of, the, one of these threads of pressure was the, my giftedness itself, how um, my particular profile ex uh, expresses itself meant that I was particularly interested in the natural world. I was particularly interested in science. I was particularly interested in connecting with the living world in ways that were very intimate. And that speaks uh, in a way to uh, my, my aspect of high sensitivity that you know, maybe not all gifted people have, but some of us do. Um, and then there was the aspect of having a traumatizing environment at home, a traumatizing environment in school where I was experiencing bullying. And so I would retreat into the natural world and find a lot of solace there. But then uh, it was, you know, the late 80s and the 90s, and a lot of these environmental messages were coming through. And, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, any other um, child of the 80s will maybe relate to this if you ever watched the movie Ferngully. Uh, Jen, did you ever see that movie? Uh -uh. Ferngully? Uh-uh. Okay, never mind. I, I know some other people will be like, yeah, I remember that. Um, it's, it's basically like a parable of, uh, of um, pollution and uh, protecting the forest. And yeah, uh, but it was like, it, it hit me very hard. Like I took it to heart very much. Uh, and I was very young. And I was like, how can there be that there's all this uh, environmental destruction? And um, so that was impacting me heavily. It was, uh, you know, nature was something that was felt extremely special, sacred to me. And, and I saw that it was being destroyed. So there was also an aspect of feeling that was what was dear to me was not being taken seriously or cared for. And so it was like a fragility there that made me feel very insecure in, 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 in the terms of physical safety, stability. Then, um, you know, Jen shares in, in her article about how the religious background had this, um, this idea of the end of the world coming in the end times. And my background also had an aspect of that, uh, where my family 
um, believed in that, that there would be end times in a different way. Some kind of apocalyptic event would actually be the, the relief to all the problems in the world rather than something to be afraid of. It was almost something to be hoped for. And that was confusing. Mm. Then um, at the same time in school, I was um, experiencing the pressures of being um, a very a promising student, a person who was told one day you will be the person to cure cancer or you will win a Nobel Prize. And I heard that a lot and I could not connect with that at all. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew that something very great was expected of me and I didn't know how I was ever going to get there and um, if and how I should get there. So it was a, um, Jen and I were just talking about this. There was an internal reality, what I experienced, let's say in my connection, my personal connection with the world and then there was a separate reality, which is what the world seemed to ask of me. And the two of them did not match. They, uh, they were creating great dissonance inside of me. So um, it, it was all sort of coming together for me when I became a teenager and I learned about, um, you know, like, um, what do you call it? Agricultural. Um, no, what is it like massive farming practices? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, what is that called? Yeah, mm -hmm. you know what I mean, right? So, factory, yeah, farming. factory farming that's what I'm talking about, and that was sort of like the straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, I'm never touching meat again, and it, it, sh it shifted my attitude from a receiver of these pressures uh, to somebody who wanted to act out against them. Uh, and so it, it, it became such that at that shifting point, I started to develop a lot of ways of living and being as a young teenager who uh, was trying to, with all of her like waking minutes, do something about all the pressures that she was feeling. And, and so I went from the, the kind of overwhelm where you're like receptive and feeling you know, like wanting to hide somewhere and not get all the pressure to a person who's like, I'm going to attack all of the pressures simultaneously. Mm. And, and that actually marked my life until my early twenties. So I became a person who was, um, very, uh, not like, I wouldn't say fundamentalist in my beliefs, but just like extremely convinced and focused on you know, whenever I gained a new piece of information about what we were doing collectively as humanity that was wrong. Let's say I found out about, um, you know, the fast fashion and how it's made by children in another side of the world and they are treated almost like slaves and so on. Then I was like, okay, now I have to like consistently look how, how does it impact my life? and I'm gonna cut all of this out of my life. But as you can see, uh, if you do that consistently with every aspect of what is wrong with the system that we live in, that makes you a little crazy. <laughs> you know, um, so I wasn't trying to pressure anyone around me to do things with me, but I had took that pressure upon myself that I needed to be a person who lived 
clean according to what I knew was right. And that, of course, uh, was in conflict with the aspect of um, what I was supposed to do, let's say, in terms of my studies and my work. And just like, uh, you know, be, be a responsible adult, um, get married, have a family, pay your bills, all those, in a way, some seemingly more mundane things. And another, the aspect of having actual human needs. I was trying to turn myself into this machine in response to every wrong that I was seeing in the world. So you can imagine the logical outcome was burnout. And that's what happened. Um, it happened multiple times, in fact. So that, you know, um, my early 20s, I had already burned out once. And I was super anxious and unable to work. Uh, let's, I think it was for about a year. Then, without changing anything, I just, um, you know, took some time off, but felt like I couldn't do anything differently. So I went back to the same way of being um, in another place, workplace, you know, worked for another four years, burned out again. Uh, and that pattern continued until my late 20s. So, um, yeah, so here I would like to, um, you know, add the piece of information, which is I didn't know I was gifted all along. And that made it so that I didn't quite have, like, um, any reference points to know what I needed to thrive in order to be a, a helpful and, and contributing member of society in the way that would be generous to myself. And so um, burnout hit me again at age 27 or something. And at that point, I was, I was really completely out of options. I had explored many things, including extreme devotion to a spiritual path and believing that that's where my true contribution lay that I was going to really make a difference by working through the spiritual path. And then I burned out to the point where I couldn't even engage in my spiritual path anymore. And I believe that engaging with it had contributed to my burnout. So it was as though many doors were closing at the same time and I couldn't um, go back to relieving the internal pressure I felt in an external way, uh, in this sort of knee-jerk way. And so many things came together for me, both um, people who helpfully pointed out just what I needed to know in the moment and um, the space to think and ponder and to have a supportive um, husband who was able to be there for me at the moment. And you know, so many, many other factors came into play. But I had to ask myself at that moment whether I was externalized. I was acting so compulsively in some ways in order to externalize some internal pain that I felt. Mm -hmm. and, and I had to ask myself, is this useful? Or am I really going to make a difference if I'm burning out all the time? Um, and well, that was a big positive disintegration, I would say in terms that I had to question everything that I had done and how I had done so far and not necessarily question 
the, the things I believed in, like the values that I was upholding, but how I was upholding them. And then the big aha came that I didn't know myself. I didn't have a sense of self in terms of including this self as part of the equation of thriving and well-being and healing of nature. And, and it was like as though the world was its own thing in its own bubble and I was outside it. And it was also as though I was acting out all the projections of my own trauma because I couldn't look at my own pain with myself. So I had to instead take out that pain somewhere else, you know, and, and see pain in the world instead and then go and help the pain of the world because nobody nobody was there to help my pain and um this is where part of the unrecognized giftedness comes in because when we're gifted and and not recognized as such and not having the language and the tools to explore with others in a safe social context what it means to be different and not better and not worse then there's a nebulousness or almost like uh, an invisibility to certain aspects of ourselves in daily life. And, um, and so that can make it so that it's not weird for somebody like me to stand outside the world and sort of um, intervene in it rather than belong in it. Uh, so that, uh, that whole experience lasted a very long time, the experience of positive disintegration, because it required questioning all that I was doing and why I was doing it and which parts of it were due to trauma and which parts of it were legitimate attempts at connection and so on. So to really become really nuanced, it was not black and white. It was not, oh, I have to now stop doing all the things that I'm doing and never help anyone again um and it wasn't um it wasn't like all the eggs belonged in one basket mm. so but what i did have to do was reconstruct my world with me in it and this was even still before i knew giftedness so when i discovered my giftedness a couple years later i had to even redo this process and include the gifted aspects into it. But what I wanna share with you uh, about what came out of that process of disintegration was that it led me to question and, and become very aware of the patterns of violence in our culture. That there are many um, systems, there are emergent systems, I don't believe that there's anyone, no puppet master controlling the strings of the world, they're all emergent systems, and yet they run on certain principles that include um, power, coercion, and violence. Uh, and that, how I'm defining that for those of you who are curious, because the word violence is very loaded, so is power, so is coercion. It's, it's uh, I break it down very simply and very neutrally to where do we, um, where do we, choose to impose our will let's say over another and in terms of internalized self-violence our own will towards ourselves against 
the will and agency of the other over long periods of time. So, you know, if you, um, if you pick up your child one time because they're running across the street when they're, they're not supposed to, you are imposing your will over that child for a short period of time for their own good. But if you are keeping your child in their room all day long because you don't want them to go outside at all, that would be violence. Um, so in, with that definition, I started to unpack all the places inside myself where I had done violence to myself, where I had internalized that this being, this whole complex ecosystem that is me, has to, um, has to be objectified or be an instrument of other people's wills and needs. And sometimes the greater good, many quotation marks there, was the thing that I should be an instrument to. And that is uh, violent in the sense that it doesn't ask the self, how does it want to collaborate in that? It just says you must be an instrument to it and create some mechanical type of relationship rather than a collaborative two-way relationship. In concrete, this meant also asking myself, are all the rules that I have for my life valid? All the things that I believe I should be and should do, uh, I could see them emanating out of this place of self-coercion. And therefore, the, the relief for me and the healing part was starting to recognize that myself, and forgive the use of the word self so many times, but there's um, understandably a lack of language around this, but the, it's a self-organizing, self-sensing, internally a coherent structure. And so uh, it, it doesn't need to have so many top-down orders or shoulds. It actually contains instructions from the inside. And I had to learn to listen to those instructions from the inside, which came in the form of, let's say, gifted needs, unique quirks, um, uh, you know, aspects um, that could be considered flaws if you look at them a certain light. Uh, from the self-improvement world, I guess they would be considered flaws or a lack of discipline and so on. But here's where the, where the whole process ties into the bigger picture of climate change and the climate emergency. I learned that it was this same kind of violence and self-exploitation that I was doing. And not to say that there weren't abusers in my life, there were, and they were also acting out externally that kind of exploitation and probably uh, some kinds of self-exploitation internally. Um, so there was also a relational aspect. But um, there, that the same ways that I could mechanize my body to do the things that I was supposed to do when I was supposed to do them. The same way that I could mechanize my feelings and my availability emotionally and mentally and intellectually to, uh, you know, for other people to outsource my mind to solve their problems, for example. All those things that I was doing is the same way that at a macro level, we are interacting with the planet and the ecosystems of the planet and all what we call the resources of the planet. 
And so there was a, um, a correspondence between the microcosm of the self being exploited and mechanized and atomized into these different component parts as resources. And I could see a correspondence to the macrocosm and how this kind of um, behavior and shoulds actually are being applied in our world of work, in our world of uh, how we relate to our families, in the world of how we relate to our friends, in the world of how we extract resources from the planet, in the world of schooling and how we have children learn things in a way that makes, uh, makes them into or puts them in positions where their role is to become instrumental to something else and so on and so forth. So um, I saw those fractals and then my mind went in many directions there. But, um, but to, to uh, extract the gist of what, what I learned in that period of my life, it was that if I couldn't have a good relationship with myself, that also meant I was um, perpetuating the, the hurts and the damage that we're doing all around us. That if I couldn't have a healthy, accepting, nonviolent, and befriending relationship to myself, then there was no way that I was going to be able to, um, to not carry that with me, even as I was doing positive actions on the outside that there was something of that violence that would um, quote unquote leak out of me wherever I went. And that might sound like I'm, um, you know, like I'm making uh, that that's a metaphor or a symbol for something, but in concrete that happens as we see in um, social movements or organizations that work for the good of other people, we see it all the time at the human level where the, there's petty bickering and social dynamics that end up polluting, very literally, the atmosphere and distract us from the goal at hand. So this is a concrete way. I'm tracking that for those of you who maybe haven't thought about this yet and might think, well, if I'm still doing something good out there, it cancels out or something. No, it doesn't because we carry ourselves wherever we go. So I started thinking about the self-care and self-befriending as some kind of uh, theory of hygiene. So you know when, uh, when doctors discovered that there's um, germs and microbes and that you should wash your hands wherever, whenever you're going to work with a patient, if you're going to do surgery, and then you know we, we had this revolution of hygiene and how much that impacted our, our um, global health care. I started to think about it in a way like that. At a very practical level, um, this, this mature and, and grounded and befriending self-relationship is about that kind of hygiene so that we're not actually spreading the pathogens of the same thing that we're trying to heal. Um, so there's a lot more that I could say on the story, but I feel like this is a natural uh, pause point. Jan, if you want to interject something or share something or ask any questions at this point. Well, I am over here actually feeling quite emotional as I listen to you. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many points of your story, even though I already know it, but listening to you uh, talk about it now, it's just, you know, there's a lot 
there are a lot of points where I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're putting words to things that I've experienced that are hard to put words to. And it makes me think about, you know, I mean, the value of what we do with the gifted and the community and, you know, providing coaching therapy and stuff like providing spaces. I mean, not just the service aspect of it, but I mean, just providing the spaces, the socially connected spaces to be able to have these discussions. I mean, listening to you is like healing wounds, you know, from a lot of the things that I experienced and, um, and, and yeah, I mean, sort of describing it from the, from the micro, I mean, the macro level, you know, uh, making things make sense in systems, Mm -hmm. system language that, you know, for me have been disparate parts, these parts, you know, here and there and didn't really have a home. Um, and that's very healing. Of course, we all, I mean, we all know the, the feeling like if you have a bunch of symptoms and you don't know what they are mm-hmm. and, they're probably, and they're scaring you and then you go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, this is a thing, you know, it's called this. And then this is the treatment. And you, you know, you often hear people say, I, I was so relieved when I got the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know this is even part of your, your story. Totally is. <laughs> because then you're like, okay, I'm not crazy. There's a system here and then I can actually do something with it. And because of exactly what you're talking about, um, the self-care aspect, the, the self-hygiene aspect, I love that metaphor. Um, I think the, that's not a really common part of the discourse out there. And I remember, um, you know, when I start, first started as a working as a psychologist and I would see people and the way that they would behave in the world um, about things that they were really passionate about. Mm-hmm. And I would often think, I mean, I would, you know, I would be able to see that they were doing what you described doing. Like they were not healing themselves. They were um, attacking the world for, for doing the bad thing. And, yeah. and so on the one hand, I'd be like, well, it's good that they're taking action, but the problem is they're, they're taking action in a way that's very noisy uh, and a lot of times violent, even if it doesn't look violent, but you know, this kind of projection out and, um, when I think about a gifted person, you know, I think that's, it's really, 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 really easy to fall into that trap, especially yeah. have like high emotional, um, you know, like, an, let's say an overexcitability or something like high emotional overexcitability or something like that. Like it can be, it can get so intense and you can really, yeah, push a lot out onto other people and, um, and then get back what you're going to get back if you do that, which is going to be, um, really painful because people aren't going to respond well to you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Tell you you're overwhelming. I mean, all of the things. And so it's like, or just misunderstand your message or whatever. And so it's like, at that point, I mean, I think a lot of people, it's like, I don't feel safe within myself. I don't feel safe within the world. I don't feel safe when I try to help the world and everything becomes so compounded and you can just feel this kind of complete, like social existential dread. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I think about often, which is I've encountered so many people in my life who are in this place, and I I feel a lot of compassion for the place they're in because it's a place of constant suffering. It's a feeling of feeling the pain of the world in this um, self-generating pain loop so that it becomes, I must rescue those in pain, but their, their own pain as as mine was is um is never resolved so 
uh, it's like they're a, a pain storm wherever they go. Yeah. And people, like you're saying, people also respond to that in a way that can be uh, turned off, but it actually continues to fuel that pain loop. Yeah. So yeah. It's, uh, like that sense of we must rescue those who are suffering or we must become aware of the pain out there because if we're not aware, then fill in the blank, this is going to happen and that is going to happen. And um, so I'm, I'm saying that as a sort of like an addition to the repertoire. There's the, the aspect of not feeling safe and the many people who, who don't feel safe and that this is overwhelming and there are the many people who are acting out their pain. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, this is something that we've talked about in terms of, you know, legitimizing gifted needs and workshops. It's like um, boundaries are an essential part of sense of safety. And if you didn't, if you don't learn healthy boundaries, healthy relational boundaries um, as a child, um, for whatever reason, then um, the way that you're going to be relating with the world and relating with other people and trying to, let's say, advocate for the world, advocate for the world or something of that nature, um, it's going to be a kind of dysfunctionally boundaried situation. So there's like, you're bringing a lack of safety because you don't know how to create it for yourself and for others. Then, you know, then the whole, like you said, it's just this feedback loop. That's like lack of safety generates lack of safety, generates lack of safety. And then, you know, it goes on and on and on. And this is a real basic, like working on, working on safety and boundaries and understanding some basics of relating, which you know, I'll say it probably in every single conversation we have about this, and I say it in my workshops and, and with clients. Um, I'm always saying this that um, that yeah, it's like this is basic stuff that's really really important to to deal with before you go out into the world and start trying to take action like from a, from an unsafe place. Because you don't get trained on how to how to do that like we don't get we don't get it in school hmm? we don't learn it in school we don't learn this at school which is yeah i mean so i'm always talking about how like you can have a super brilliant person who's like you said supposed to win the nobel prize or something and um and then they have no emotional literacy and they don't know how to handle like they don't know how to handle their emotions they don't know how to have healthy boundaries they don't you know so it's like brilliant on one level but total wild horse on the other mm -hmm. you know yeah no it makes sense and it bears repeating as many times as we can possibly <laughs> repeat it um yeah because the other aspect and um, that i can speak to of that is that i was uh, i felt as though it was only like it was a soul burden there was like a solitary individual burden type of experience mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. And as I've gone through my positive disintegration and learned to integrate my sense of self into everything I do, I've learned there's nothing that I'm going to accomplish alone. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely yeah. nothing. So the everything that we're facing in the from the macro, uh, macrocosm of the climate emergency to the microcosm of healing our own individual trauma is a cooperative effort. Yeah. And so without knowing without even that um, little snippet of information and recognizing that as part of the steps to healing, you're going to need to be able to do it with others. And to do it with others, you need to have those basic tools of relating. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think the hopeful part about um, this particular conversation we're having today is that um, naming the correspondence between the micro and the macro actually is super hopeful in that it allows us to know that every step that we can take is it belongs in the big picture it it all can can contribute to the to the final goal let's say um rest restoring the earth uh halting the climate emergency and and becoming healthy cells in the ecosystem of the earth that you know uh john you you talked about it in your own process in your article how you knew that you needed to to give yourself time to have compassion for your own grief and to be in your own process before forcing yourself into any kind of external action yeah yeah that was that was part of the process as well it wasn't separate no it wasn't and i you know as i processed everything i i really felt lucky to be trained in psychology and to have you know these 20 years of experience working in this domain because I thought to myself, my God, if I was like a person who didn't really have any interest in psychology, had no idea, how would I know how to, pro like, how would I work through this? How would I know? Because as a psychologist, you know, I've had enough experience to know you don't outrun grief. It, that it, it doesn't, you, it's not like, it's not a reality. You can't do it. And so I was like, well, I mean, I don't know if the world goes to hell while I'm working through my grief that's I'm, I'm still human like i'm still like the the climate emergency doesn't change the way that i biologically process things or emotionally process things you know it it doesn't speed my internal biological process up in that sense and so um sure i wasn't like saying okay well i'll you know maybe take one therapy appointment a month and you know spend one hour on it i mean i was working really hard at it um but at the same time, I wasn't like burning myself out working at it. Like I knew this is a process. I don't, I can't say how long it's going to go, but I do know that I need to take it. Yeah. So like, I mean, I kind of say that because thinking about many people who are like, I don't even you know, like who aren't interested in psychology or have never studied anything about it. I mean, you might be sitting there going like, I, I have got no idea what to do with any of this, you know? And I train therapists and, and coaches and they have told me, um, that's, you know, in their cases, sometimes they're struggling to help clients through it because they're in the middle of it themselves. And so you may even be in therapy, for example, and still your therapist may be having trouble guiding you because they're going through their own process. I mean, we're, where whoever we are, wherever we are, we're all thrown in this together, you know, at the same time, we're at whatever point we're at in our lives or whatever our previous knowledge about psychology or emotional processing or anything like that, you know? So, um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's that whole aspect to consider just that this is really, this is really part of the process. And if, you know, if you take it seriously and you're committed to it and, and you kind of discipline your attention toward it. Yeah. That is a wonderful step. It is a super hopeful step, right? You might not be, you know, creating creating the next uh, major climate change solution today or tomorrow, even in the next month or the next six months or the next year. Um, but you'll be a hell of a lot closer in six months or in six years uh in a year let's hope let's hope not six years i don't think i mean not to say that uh it couldn't happen but i've i've worked with a lot of people through this and it doesn't take six years usually usually not yeah exactly which is uh, even even what you're saying and making things like human-sized and human-shaped yeah. in themselves is a part of the solution because 
the problem is that we've made things more so, so much more more than human and machine-like yeah. and it, it would be machine-like to expect ourselves to not go through the process of grief and to not need to heal and imagining ourselves as human in this human-sized um you know like man i want to say manageable to a certain degree like uh real down-to-earth context yeah. it helps it, it helps us snap out of the idea that we have to be machines totally and that like i loved the way that you said you know that you had mechanized your body mechanized your feelings um, outsourced your mind to solve problems. And I think that, you know, that is the self-violence that can be done in the process of grieving and working through trauma as it relates to the climate emergency. Then that said, it's really also important, like I said, I wasn't taking one therapy session per month and going, well, let's give one hour and then, I'll, you know, per month and we'll see where it goes. I mean, at the same time, and this is a huge part of our I Heart Earth initiative, it's about daily cultivation of states of of safety for yourself so i mean maybe you don't have 10 hours a day to work on it fine we you know who does some people do maybe but i don't um but um but i do have at least one hour a day or i have some time every day that i can work on it and um and and yeah i mean there's this kind of idea of cultivating one's attention toward building the safety that's that's kind of you know there's this balance because you can go almost to the apathetic side that says well i'm human i'm a biological being i can, you know though so there's not much i can do or there's the other extreme that's like the mechanized version of the self uh self-violent and then there's this in-between thing which you know is is a very dabrowskian kind of um vertical conflict kind of idea this creative space this creative conflict where um yeah you don't want to be the apathetic one and you also can't be the mechanized one so who exists in between? What is that generative um, space in between? What does that generate for you? How does that link you to, you know, how does it like sort of put your grief uh, in contact internally with your own passions? You know, where do these, the, uh, I'm gonna say negative and positive, although it's not that black and white, but where do the negative and the positive states like um, alchemize, you know, like get together and then alchemize? Uh, yeah, so there's that balance there as well. And it's it's an interesting thing to answer for oneself because it takes a lot of time and attention to answer for oneself. I mean, there's no final answer. I mean, it's a, it's a generative, daily, emergent thing. It's not something that you can say, okay, well, I'm, yeah, I'll definitely for the next year take, I don't know, what whatever. I'm just using therapy as an example, but uh, one one therapy session per month and I'm going to read one book per week and I'm going to, I've had people tell me these things and I'm like, okay, hang on, hang on. Like, yeah, okay, you can set that up as maybe some sort of, you know, inspiring, um, like, and motivating discipline plan. But but it's really more about like this daily engagement, like this daily commitment to showing up for yourself in whatever way that needs to be in that day. And if it if that uh, if that plan, you know, that master plan helps you to stay in that generative space, cool. But it's about kind of the the moment to moment paying attention. Like maybe you do that generative that plan, you know, for the next year I'm going to do all of these things, and maybe you find that um, you know after a month it needs to change, and in order to keep yourself in the generative space, because you you could even do a plan. I mean, I've worked with people on this. Like they'll get this plan, and they'll do it in a very apathetic way. So they'll show up 
all the time. They'll show up to every therapy appointment. They'll, you know, um, read all the books and do all the things on the plan, but sort of do it in a, in an empathetic way. Like, well, I'm a biological being, I have to do this, uh, you know, this kind of stuff. And then on the other hand, you can totally imagine the overzealous person mm -hmm. that's like, you know, reading and taking like copious notes and in their therapy, like, you know, freaking out or I don't know, <laughs> you know, get crazy with themselves and, and being self-recriminatory and all of these things. And, um, and yeah, so it's about sort of knowing how to cultivate that space in between. And that's something that, you know, I, I often am working on with clients and have worked hard, do still work hard every day for with myself is that, you know, life is one of those things that like, despite how many of us would like it to be black and white, uh, to understand the exact rules and everything, we don't know. I mean, there's just the constant change. So the idea is more about mastering yourself in states of change, um, mastering your own process. And, and right, I'm not talking about mastering yourself as in, in, in the dominance uh, violent, you know, self-violent model. I'm saying exactly what you talked about, about thriving in a way that's generous to yourself. So like, as you said, the self as a part, um, part of the equation of thriving and well-being and the healing of nature. It's like, yeah. And for people who have gone through, you know, some extreme gifted trauma and then maybe other traumas as well, that um, had like the uh, themes of neglect um, and the, necess the necessity to self-abandon in order to survive, uh, that's really hard. Because if you've been doing 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 of your years in a self-abandonment pattern, it's really hard to know how to include yourself when the thriving equation has to include you. Um, so there's, yeah, I mean, there can be a lot of sort of legwork so to speak, this this speaks to a lot of my process, as you know, people could read um, in my article about my stories. Like mine has, you know, mine hasn't only been about the um, processing the, um, the 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 climate specific stuff. It's been a lot about like, oof, there's some pretty heavy stuff from my childhood about this subject. So it wasn't necessarily the self abandonment stuff, although there are themes there for me as well, but um, whatever, whatever the themes are that keep a person from including themselves in their own equation of thriving, um, there may be some, like a, like a lot of legwork that has to be done. And that's a reality too. Like it might not just be ecological grief. It may be, you know, this taps into some pretty intense uh, trauma stuff and that may be a reality. And, and I mean, my easy advice for that, although it's not, I mean, there's a lot behind it, but it's like, don't force yourself to do that alone. That's not, get, get a therapist, get a gifted therapist who understands, who can support you through it. Like it is not something you have to do alone. Nobody should have to do that alone. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the, um, you know, to, to bring it to a, like a one nugget type of thing, uh, I wanted to say this, this thing of convergence again, mm. that every effort that we make in our lives doesn't, it's like not only mentally uh, co converges, but it's like in the reality of how the world works, it converges. So if we can hold that in mind, that as you're um, maybe working on your childhood trauma, that converges on the goal 
again not in this um, not in this uh, top-down way, but in in the general emergence kind of way. This in the goal of healing the planet, your own healing contributes to the healing of the planet, even if it's not eco grief that you're healing. Um, yeah. That there's a convergence between, let's say, um, I just did the workshop on gifted needs, and that was beautiful, and I could see some eyes lighting up as they could tell that they're uh, taking care of in this again generative way of their own gifted needs actually contributes to the bigger goal of the well-being of the whole planet and i think that's a very very hopeful imagining that we actually converge that we're not separate from the world and that our well-being contributes to the well-being of the world as much as we also have to consciously dedicate um, action units and effort units to the well-being of the world as a giveaway we when we turn inward we're also contributing to the well-being of the world yeah and i think that even in just taking that stance and, and kind of shifting um or let's say updating that that software in our head about the way that the world is formed and what our what our role is in it or you know that we're part of it, kind of like what we talked about in the last conversation, feeling like an alien, not feeling like part of the world, um, is like you you said earlier in your when you were sharing your story, you said like you had this feeling that you were standing outside the world and you had to intervene in it rather than belong in it, and I think that points to you know how gifted trauma can really um, exacerbate what people are feeling now because it's like you could have this feeling like oh I have to I have to fix all my stuff like in you know outside of the world while the world is going to ha i'm going to like step out of the world and fix it all and then i'll come back and i'll be able to intervene in it in my very gifted way and then i can like save the world or something um and that's totally i mean that's 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 trauma stuff happening that is that's a that's a trauma voice speaking 100 percent because you are part of the world and you you're you're part of this ecosystem and whatever you're doing is having an effect on everything and everything's having an effect back on you like you you do exist as part of this and so if you're healing like Kenin said you're also the, the world is healing as you heal um and that you know you may feel like i did during a time which was also you know trauma voice from my childhood which was like um but if i'm if i'm healing then uh, like if i'm just sort of taking my time then i'm almost like con um, condoning like the end of the world because i'm you know i'm I'm kind of accepting it and I'm condoning it. And like, so if I just sit, think of myself as part of the world who's just like healing and healing the world, it's too slow. Like there's not enough time to do this. And so it's almost as if I'm just condoning the end of the world and, and letting it happen. And um, and those are the, for me anyway, that that was a huge part that took an enormous amount of compassion to, to be with, to, to, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And uh, the outcome, I would say, uh, I'm just speaking about like where I'm at now, uh, so so that uh, many of you can you know check in with yourselves where you're at. Uh, also, it's like I don't not feel pain, <laughs> the pain of the world right now. It's not like I've healed in this um, this way that some aspects of the self help world have imagined. It's like you're always happy and you're always abundant and you're always successful, and then you are a blessing to the world because of that. It's like I carry my pain with me when I do my compassion meditations or when I take action in, in more uh, concrete, non-virtual ways. 
uh, and and yet because I've created that space of befriending and relationship inside myself, I can be in pain and in action at the same time. I can be flexible to be in pain and go inside at times. I can I can have states of bliss and joy. And it's never just one thing. It's never a static um, achieved state of any kind, but it is flexible enough and resourced enough that it can adapt to different situations and it can, I can bring myself to different situations and even when I am in pain. Yeah, and I think um, an important sort of nuance there is that um, if you bring pain that you haven't... Um, uh, I want to say that you haven't healed, but and then we get into this word like, well, what exactly does that mean? If, if you're bringing pain that you're projecting out onto like some um, abuser, so to speak, um, some like let's say you're bringing it, it's projected onto the present from an abuser from the past or something of this nature. So it's like a projected pain. So if you bring that and you take action at the same time, your action is probably harmful. Uh, but in the, so it's a it, it's kind of a funny distinction because it's like almost the exact same thing as you were saying like you got your pain and you were still taking action but now you're doing it in this way that the pain isn't projected on it's not like your past projected onto something now um it's when you know in my work i distinguish between pain you know regular pain and then legitimate pain and um so legitimate pain is like the stuff that you just you can't take away like there's no amount of resolving it that's going to take it away. Like I think ecological grief is a legitimate pain. Like when you see someone, somebody that you love or a thing that you love dying or being destroyed, you feel legitimate pain and that shouldn't be taken away. But if you're feeling pain in terms of like, um, you know, narratives that like the whole world is against me or, you know, everybody's terrible and cruel or these kinds of things, then that's not legitimate pain in the sense that um, there's a lot of stuff that you can do to resolve that. So it's kind of more like healing is healing of the, the non-legitimate pain. And then le the legitimate pain stays there. It doesn't get healed per se, but it, if you're, if you have a compassionate space, like, and a very sort of like, I accept my human side space, then the pain is present in a compassionate in this compassionate space and then they blend together and that's what, kind of what I was talking about about the generative finding the generative space in between and um and with that I wanted to say that I experienced that a lot like it's almost like the pain um becomes like a fuel in in the positive sense like so creative fuel you know not kind of not like an unconscious you know like i'm saying not like an unconscious projection mechanism fuel if that makes sense but as a um like almost like it transmutes inside of me and it becomes like a fire that can do beautiful things and wonderful things uh it links a lot to something i've said in some of our some of my other um public talks uh was like that i do have a very destructive side and I consider that really a, one of the element, like one of the basic elements of my, my personality. I, I love to destroy dysfunctional um, systems, you know, those kinds of things I love to destroy. And, um, but it's, 
I've learned to make it as a, it's a creative destruction. And so in this case as well, my pain can often serve to um, be like this fire that is like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to protect this thing that I love, or I'm going to do, I'm going to, you know, apply my passion. I'm going to like transmute the pain into passion and then do something with it. But exactly like you said, it doesn't mean that I don't have the pain. Like I, you know, saw the picture of the polar bear yesterday, you know, the, we all know the picture, right? Like the starving polar bear that's, that looks like it, you know, hasn't eaten and is, is just about to die. And like, it makes me cry still. Like, I hate it. I hate seeing it. So that's still there, but it's, it's, it's generative in a way. I mean, I send thoughts of compassion to the bear and to all of the things that are suffering out there, you know? But then I'm like, okay, so here I have this energy. What am I going to do with it? Mm, yeah, beautifully said. I'm wondering then... Um, if we want to give some of our listeners uh, or our listeners some pointers on how they themselves can take their next step and, and also uh, find their ways to converge, use their, uh, use their feelings for fuel and um, access that creative destruction and so on. Yes, I think that would be a wonderful next step. I have about a hundred suggestions, so I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the um, one of the steps that John and I had identified as we were thinking about what uh, what would be helpful would be uh, having a first step of um, looking at yourself and and assessing and noticing where you're at in terms of uh, your your relationship with your own trauma, with your gifted trauma and with your environment and with the climate emergency, you know, just um, breaking it down into, into categories, if you will, so that you can find yourself on the map. And so one question would be, do you feel safe within yourself? Do you have a basic sense of safety with your body, with your nervous system? And if you don't, then the first step would be to um, to apply some or to seek out tools and support to find that sense of safety. So um, this could include uh, some of the nervous system regulation tools that we've shared in previous conversations. Could include things like mindfulness. Um, for example, we're uh, cultivating gifted mindfulness through our partner project, the Gifted Mindfulness Collective. Um, so we have resources for gifted people who are wanting to cultivate mindfulness with peers and in gifted specific ways. Um, if, it's, uh, if, if you find yourself in a place of a lot of activation and, and trauma loops, then maybe finding a therapist, a gifted specific therapist would be the next step for you and so on. So there's uh, that basic foundational level of having that sense of safety within yourself. Um, then on, if you do have a sense of safety with yourself, then the question is, do you feel safe connecting with others? And are you ready to connect with others on, uh, on your personal level and on a collective level when we're talking about solidarity for, uh, for the climate emergency? You know, so there's multiple tiers of connection. But at the level of connection, one of the things that 
um, that is involved in there is that turning outward, looking for the information you need right now so that you feel well informed, so that you feel knowledgeable and understand better what's going on. So it's that willingness and place of readiness to um, step, step outward and, and be in connection with others and be in conversation with others and talk about what's going on for you, uh, how you're processing the situation and cooperating together at small scales uh, and at bigger scales. And um, another level then would be finding the place where you're really passionate and skillful, perhaps even the, the places where you could look for your own contribution, where, where do you fit into the, um, into the macrocosm scale situation of the world right now. So this includes asking yourself and, and as Jen was saying, to attuning your attention in this um, you know, um, disciplined and devoted way to look for the places where you can make a difference, where you would be excited to make a difference, where your skills meet the world's need, and, um, and taking action in, at that level. And that is uh, provided that you already have the connection and the supportive ecosystem at the relational space, uh, at the relational level, so that you can do this in a way that feels effective and nourishing and um, that it's a two-way thing. So that as you, as you take action and you utilize your passions for, and on behalf of the world, you're actually feeling energized and feeling like um, that, that return of making your contribution. So any thoughts, Jen, at this point? That's beautifully said, yeah. And I, um, I love uh, the idea of uh, just pointing out to everybody that um, kind of like, it's not like don't cultivate your passions if you're not safe with yourself yet. Like, yeah, okay, attention and stuff. But what I have, uh, and, and safe with others, but like what I have found is that a lot of people will say to me, like kind of almost in a panic, you know, like, but what are my passions? How I like, I don't know how to do them. And then like, and then we'll, I'll ask, okay, so like, are you feeling safe within yourself, safe with us? Uh, safe with others and the answer is no and I'm like okay well I mean this is kind of like asking yourself to graduate from high school and pass all the tests when you, you might be in sixth grade and I mean that's just kind of cruel <laughs> I don't do that you know? no wonder that it's overwhelming yeah like it's totally normal that it's overwhelming and so just to kind of put a sort of meta thought around that or meta concept around that for anybody that might find this useful is that like Karin and I have worked a lot on the idea of emergent timing. And like Karin can tell you a year ago when I was working on this stuff, I was like, okay, how can I, you know, I was feeling all of the feelings and then I was like, okay, well now I have to slow it down and that's really challenging. Um, and, uh, and, and so I like to myself, I had to discipline myself to say, okay, this is something that will emerge. Like I, and I, I mean, I know this, I do this work enough with other people to know if you set the conditions, you know, then something emerges. If you plant seeds and then you nourish them, you know, unless there's a freak occurrence, then it emerges. Um, and so it's kind of like, in terms of safety, that's also a, re a really important level of safety with yourself, that you're not asking yourself to graduate high school when you haven't you know, finished sixth grade kind of thing. 
and it's not so linear that, I mean, it's not so linear. Um, that's why I said, I'm not saying like, don't pay any attention. Yes, pay attention. But there may, and there, cause there could also be like um, various like loops of this kind of thing happening at the same time. Like you, you might be able to, for example, um, make changes in the way like you use your car, uh, you know, reduce the amount of times you use the, the plane and all of these, like you might be able to do those things and those are fine. Like you can do those, but, um, without kind of getting into a trauma loop or whatever, but it might be like when you're trying to connect with people and do something more on the collective level that then that's where you start to find that like, it's not okay. And then you come back to realizing, Oh, um, I don't feel safe with myself. So I'm struggling to connect with people. And then, so, you know, it's like, yeah, okay, do what you can, but also keep in mind that you might have these other loops where you're like still in sixth grade and that's okay. And so you work with yourself as though you were in sixth grade, like you just work with actual reality um, and not some sort of theoretical idea of where you should be because you're 38 or whatever is the story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know that this might be like one of the big challenges for our gifted community members listening um, because there is a way I've observed, especially with clients that we, we think that if we can conceive of it in our minds, we can do it. And, and um, a part of my process, uh, also <laughs> Jen can tell you in the mentoring process, has been to slow down, it, like we call it slowing down. In the end, it end, ends up not feeling slow because I'm, you know, when I'm in it, I'm fully immersed in it. So it doesn't feel quite like I'm slowing down. But to, to put the time of the body into the equation as well, to say, okay, well, there's, there's only so many things I can do in a day or in a week or in a month. So um, where am I going to prioritize my attention? Okay, so safety is up for me. Yes, I will do these other projects that, were, that will support the planet in a more global way. But uh, as long as I only have like finite resources and I need to build safety, then I need to focus on safety. And that's, yeah, in, in my mind, it might seem slow. Yeah. Yeah, and um, to, to, to sort of, add one extra nuance to that is like for those of us with twice or multi-exceptionalities mm -hmm. uh, that's even more I mean sometimes I, not even more important but it almost feels even more important because there is an element that slows us down totally um, there's a disability side to uh you know twice exceptionalities so multi-exceptionalities and so and that's you know that can be very real I can conceive of a lot of very wonderful things but then in my daily life um yeah, it's, it's more complex than that, way more nuanced than just having a good idea and then following through on it. And I, I work with lots of people with multi-exceptionalities that say to me, but Jen, why didn't I follow through with such and such? It was such a good idea. Or, you know, I, all I need to do, I mean, this, I hear this all the time. All I need to do is just fill in the blank. And I'm like, yeah, but how does that work with your, you know, whatever this case, your autism, your ADHD, your, your, you know, um, mental illness or whatever is the section, second exceptionality, physical illness. Uh, and, you know, then they'll go, well, but I can't because then I'll burn out or then I'll, um, you know, then I'll, then I'll be stuck in bed for the next three weeks or uh, that kind of thing. And, and I'm like, well, so, so then it wasn't, a, it wasn't working in reality for you. It was working in, in hypothetical space. And that can be, I always say like, you can use your hypothetical space or theoretical space as inspiration, but not um not as like a one-to-one -one with reality so you go like like what i do with a lot of people is i will go we'll work on you know their idea and then i'll say okay so what in 
what is the sort of what are the core um, elements in this idea that are super exciting for you? And then we look at the core elements, like the passions, basically, and then we adapt them. Okay, so, I mean, it's just the same thing as adapting for a physical disability, like a wheelchair or whatever. Okay, you'd like to live in this house? Cool. How do you how do we adapt it so that it's wheelchair friendly? Um, and there are some, you know, there's some ideas that just are not adaptable, just like there are some houses that, you know, the amount of, um, uh, what's the word, renovation that you'd have to do to make it wheelchair friendly would like cost you twice what the house is worth. Well, you know, you don't, you don't get that house, but so there are some ideas where you just, there's almost nothing to take from it. But even, even with the house idea, you know, maybe you take some inspiration from the way that it looks and you go, okay, well, we can't get this house, but we'll find another one that has this lovely, whatever color or garden or I don't know, something similar. Um, so it's like respecting the, the spirit of your inspirations or your, the theory, but, uh, but then also doing that in a way that, that adapts to your actual real limitations. Yeah, that's a super excellent point. I'm very glad you brought that up. So I had a thought while you were talking and we didn't talk about it before. So I'll be curious to hear what you say here live. Um, when you were talking about, um, you know, some of these, some of these explorations in, in terms of uh, resources for feeling safe within the self, like a toolbox, you know, feeling safe within the self, safe within, safe with others. Um, you know, we have sort of, sometime later this year have planned to do your wholeness-based relating course again and it makes me think that um, this would correspond very well to that so I wonder if that would be something we would want to revive uh, you know in the near future and specifically with some of these things in mind you know providing a space to talk about the tools of feeling safe within one's, within oneself and feeling safe with others as it really does. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking about it. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, yeah, because it 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 almost feels like something else is called for because wholeness-based relating is way more general. Yeah. Uh, so it feels like something more precise to the to the historical moment is called for, mm -hmm. and which might mean that wholeness-based relating gets a revamp, or it might mean that something that a spinoff comes off that is more specific to um to to the relationship with the self almost exclusively with some aspects of the relationship with others well i wonder if um yeah i wonder if like people would be interested listeners would be interested in that we would love to hear from you because we create all of our we create all of this as we go depending on what you all need and the, your feedback so um pretty much everything you see we do it's because somebody has told us that it's that they need it and um i mean it's also our passion and inspiration too but a lot of it is is shaped around what you all need so if you after listening to this you would feel like yeah i would want to be involved in something um i'm thinking maybe it would be meaningful to have it like be a two-part yeah exactly like because wholeness based relating is four parts and yeah. there's one part relationship with the self two is relationship with your immediate um people in your life Mm -hmm. uh, three is your relationship with your community and your world so like a broader relationship and um four is getting to know your unique profile so that you can communicate and make agreements and articulate what uh 
what is true for you and and better understand what is true for others in contrast because one of the things that we struggle with when we don't know our gifted selves is knowing the difference and expecting everybody to be like us and us to be like everybody else so oh, yeah. that's why i say it's a very general but i would be super happy to tailor that to focus on really getting deep into the the self relationship and safety and how to um, transform these patterns of self-mechanization into a more organic and more um, compassionate and holistic way of relating with ourselves. Because then the self-relationship um, evolves into relationships with others that are much more harmonious as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, good. Well, write us, write to us at connect at intergifted.com if you we want to be um, involved in something like that and we will make it happen if you do. Yeah, exactly. Um, along with that, I wanted to mention a couple of things that we're doing now. Um, we're working on uh, a workshop later this year with our um, eco-psychologist, uh, Eric Wintorst. And so I'm excited about that. Um, he's bringing his knowledge he's just finishing his phd today so congratulations yeah congratulations eric <laughs> and and this is um this is his area of specialty uh so his his kind of you know tagline or whatever is um like for gifted people growing with nature in mind and so we're gonna be creating some some work around that uh from the point of view of eco-psychotherapy just really, really a wonderful field and especially needed right now. So we're going to follow up with some of that information. I'm also going to put Eric's um, uh, website as a link and, and resources from this, from this uh, discussion and um, just mentioned that he is available uh, for coaching through Intergifted. So uh, if anybody wants to explore working one-on-one, -on -one, uh, with somebody who knows this terrain very well. Um, he's a therapist and a coach, so that's his background. And then Karin, of course, provides coaching um, on all of the themes that she's been talking about as well. So we we have people that are ready and able to help gifted specific wise. Um, and then, you know, so I wanted to kind of talk about some of the different things that we're going to be doing. So through iHeartEarth, we do a weekly meditation, which everybody is very welcome to join. Uh, we've done two so far. Yesterday, we did ours on mutual nourishment with the earth. And um, next week, we're going to be doing ours on the, on the idea of generative compassion. So how to have compassion with yourself and with the world in a way that generates some of the things we've been talking about today that generates um, this, this, create, this creative positive tension uh, as opposed to kind of lulls us into a sense of like sadness and, and apathy um, and how to how to cultivate that and so that happens once a week sometime so far they've been virtual meditations so we just sort of meet in the ether as we say um, spend time together either at the same you know many of us gather at the same time and then for those of you who can't gather at the same time with us you just spend some time during your day reflecting on those themes and then sharing with us what came up for you and what you're working on as it relates to those themes. Um, we're, we're new. We just launched this last month. So we are growing and we have lots of ideas and we'll kind of see which ones stick. Like, as, like I said before, it's sort of based on the feedback that we get, but um, uh, ideally we'll be having some uh, live meditations or some lead meditations, sometimes guided 
we're gonna play with that and see what 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 works best and um, probably be kind of it'll be a, a bit of a mosaic approach. But they'll all be focused on this yeah cultivating of positive states of safety, uh, like I said at the beginning. And um, along with that, we want to provide uh, education, um, talks, perhaps materials, that kind of thing, uh, written materials. Um, for anybody who's working on these things and, and who's really, you know, working on the self-discipline of uh, focusing their attention on cultivating these positive and, and safe states uh, so that they can, um, you know, commit to their own part in the collective task. And so we'd love to hear from you. If you have thoughts about what you would need, questions, we would create, yeah, various, like I said, various talks, workshops, I don't know, fill in the blank whatever whatever kind of response to what people are struggling with right now. So um, if you would write to us, the idea would be uh, share with us some of the major questions that you're asking right now, um, things that you're working through to give us a, an idea of what corresponds to that. Um, that would be great. And then I wanted to mention, so we're doing, uh, we'll be doing these initiatives and, and stuff at iHeartEarth. I Heart Earth as an initiative is not gifted specific uh, in itself. Of course, everybody that's gifted is welcome, but it's a crossover initiative. So um, we're also doing things at, via I Heart Earth in Intergifted. And those are, the, those are the things that are gifted specific. So the workshops we're talking about with Karin and Eric are going to be gifted specific, for example. This week, so you have, um, today's Wednesday. So we have two more days. Um, by the time we, by the time everybody listens to this, it's going to be past. Um, well, we'll be having more of these things, but I'll tell you about what we're doing this week so that you have an idea of kind of these things that are happening. So this week we have uh, an intergifted coach, Jan Provost, who is doing a Q and A uh, in our um, intergifted community, and that's on the topic of climate change and gifted advocacy. So how do we use our uncommon intelligence, so to speak, to um, to to contribute and what are the phases of working through the things that we're talking about today. And, and so Jan is a science writer and a coach with us and um, has had really great insight so far. So there's a chance, for example, that we might turn that into um, an article and then put it on our website. So there will be, there will be all kinds of these little initiatives here and there. Um, yeah. In an effort to educate, bring us together, um, kind of like cultivate on a collective level these these different things these different levels of safety as well yeah yeah and so it's in a way it, uh, what we've talked about with Jen is that we're it's like we're creating many spaces where it's safe to talk about this uh, yeah. and safe to come as you are and explore the topic with others and not have to be alone with your thoughts on it but actually um, know that the doors are open and that these these gatherings are happening and that there are people who are um let's say holding spaces for that and and there are many people from different disciplines with their expertise and with their experience uh offering what they have and so it's like it it doesn't matter what stage you're at in your in your journey to integrate yourself uh, your gifted self, your climate experience, and so on and so forth. 
because there are uh, you know spaces that welcome all all stages. Yeah, well said. Yeah, well, it's been wonderful uh, exploring this this dimension of uh, the gifted experience with you, John, today. Absolutely, and thank you so much for uh, you know so generously sharing your story and you know these very sensitive um, elements, like really from your heart that you've lived. And I mean, you're a, you're an inspiration. I mean, I know that that's kind of a cliche phrase, but but you truly are. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so thank you on behalf of myself for the work that you've done. And I know for many people, I mean, I hear all the time from so many people that your work is touching them in such important ways. I get to see that firsthand all the time. So I'm really grateful as well. <laughs> for me but um yeah yeah thank you for saying that i really appreciate that and i'm happy that uh that i can contribute in this way well with that i guess we will wrap up and um we welcome you as always to send in your feedback uh, at connect at intergifted.com we'll have our resource list in the notes as always and we look forward to joining you for conversation number six Yes, thank you everyone and talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.